Good morning. Greet everybody in the name of Jesus. It is good to be together this morning to worship the Lord. Just a, a bit of history, thinking about uh, our deacon ordination that is nigh upon us. We've been praying about it for quite a while and, and uh, looking forward to adding somebody to the ministry team here at Myerstown. If you go back into the 1980s, which is a long ways back there, all the young people are like, when was that? Well, that's, you know, they don't even remember that. But during the 80s, Myerstown didn't have a deacon. And early 90s, I was ordained after a 10-year period of no deacon. But since that time, this will be our sixth deacon ordination in 30 years, do the arithmetic. So if it seems like we're having a lot of deacon ordinations, we are. It's like an average of every five years we're calling another deacon. And the reason for that is two of them were ordained ministers and two of them went with church plants. And Ray is the, the faithful one that is still with us here. And so we're looking to add to the team to uh, give Ray uh, another deacon brother to, to work with. I would like to just go over a little bit of the logistics of the deacon ordination, make a few comments on that so I don't have to do so much of it on Wednesday evening. Uh, the fact sheets, everybody supposedly should have one. If you don't, there's still some back there in my box. Talk to me after church. Make sure you get one. And here, everything is laid out very clearly, very plainly on the procedure that we are planning to use. And this morning is uh, the first qualification message. And then on Wednesday evening, Claire Long will be with us. He's from Lichty's, and he'll have the second qualification message. Following that, we will receive nominations, and we do that back in the back girls' Sunday school room, what I call it, I don't know, back, back room. And uh, if you're a member here at Myerstown, you're welcome to come back and, and to verbally give your nominations. And the whole ministry team will be there with, along with Claire Long to receive your nominations. As it's spelled out in, in the fact sheet, uh, a person to be named and to be considered for ordination will have to have a minimum of three nominations. And married couples are welcome to come to the council room together. However, uh, if married couple nominates the same person, it counts as one nomination. And then it also talks about absentee nominations, and this is very important. If you're not going to be here and you want to give an absentee nomination, you're welcome to do that in an envelope that is sealed and marked on the outside, deacon nomination, and your nomination, you must name the person and, and also sign your slip of paper inside. When we re and give them to either Leon or I before Wednesday evening or by Wednesday evening at the latest, and the way we do it in the nominating room, and we have a reason for doing it the way we do it, the ministry gives their nominations first, and then we will open the, any absentee nominations that we have so that the ministry can't be swayed in any way, shape, or form. And after that, we'll allow you to come and to, to give your nominations. So I trust that you have been praying and seeking the Lord's will, fasting, in preparation for this. Whenever we call a, a deacon or a minister and, or a bishop in the church, it is God who is ultimately calling. 
God is, is calling this individual. He knows that we're planning an ordination. And he knows the very procedure that we're using to call this person. And God has, I believe, already chosen the person who's going to serve as deacon here at Myerstown. And we, as God's children, open our hearts and we pray and we seek his will for who, uh, who, if anybody, he wants us to nominate. And as we do that, we're using discernment, we're using common sense, we're using the leading of the spirit. And I like to say it this way, some, you can, you can get, get off in two ditches. Some, sometimes people say, well, you, you know, you have to have a direct word from the Lord. That's good, sometimes we do. And, but I think what's ultimately the most important is that we have, we've thought it through, we prayed about it, and we have peace about a person that we feel called to, to nominate as, as one of God's children. And on that basis, you can come and, and give your nominations. And if there's more than one person receives sufficient nominations, we will use the lot to allow God to show us clearly the one that he has called. And if there's only one person receives sufficient nominations, God has spoken, and he's spoken through his children, through the church, and it's clear. This is God's choice. And I believe God has already made his choice, as I said, and we're simply looking to him to direct us and to reveal that choice to us. If you have any questions at all, make sure you talk to one of us on the, on the ministry team about uh, the process or, or any questions that you might have. I uh, also put in your mailboxes a little pamphlet that you probably, if you've been a member here for any amount of time, you have gotten this before. It's from Lamp and Light. It's called Our Congregation Prepares for an Ordination. And it lays out so beautifully all the qualifications for somebody to be considered for ministry. And if you're married, I tried to get two in your boxes. Uh, take, a, take a home today and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in your morning devotions, read through it, think about it as you uh, plan to participate in this process. It's very well written and has a lot of good information in it. I also, and I believe the last in the May issue actually of Anabaptist Financial, which uh, I was spent some time reading recently, is an article called The Role of the Deacon, and it's written by David Martin, uh, deacon back at Raresburg, Dutch Way Davy, as he's fondly recalled in our family. And David did an excellent job, probably the best article I have ever read on the role of a deacon. It's quite long, and he just, he just talks about a lot of things. He has a lot of experience, and it's very good. And uh, I'll, I'll save this. Perchance our new deacon didn't have it. I'll, I'll let him read it afterwards. He's also, right now, AF is doing a, a seminar. I know Matt Good attended, or at least he was planning to a few weeks, uh, and where David teaches, I believe, the this very subject, the role of a deacon. Just a few comments from David's article. And at the beginning of the article, he says, deacons have a lot of responsibilities and behind the scenes work. 
A school teacher once asked her students what the responsibilities of a bishop, minister, and deacon are. They responded this way. Well, the bishop is the leader. He tells the people what to do. The preacher is to preach the word. And the deacon, well, he does the work. And so that's not a very accurate uh, perception, but I believe it's a perception that a lot of people have of a deacon. And there is a, there is a sense of truth to it. The deacon does a lot of the work. Deacon's role is very, very important does a lot of behind the scenes work, and we have been so blessed here at Marystown to have a number of very good deacons to work with and looking forward to having another one. David also says in this article, he says that uh, a deacon's work would be much easier if there would be a manual called the complete guide to being a good deacon with detailed instructions, but there's no such manual available. And then he, uh, but he sort of, wrote a manual himself. It's very good. And just a few things that uh, I want to highlight. He says, here are a few practical and scriptural do-nots that deacons can apply to their ministry. Do not believe gossip. Do not accept a complaint unless the person has first used Matthew 18 towards uh, a brother or sister in the church. Do not form conclusions until you've heard all points of views and from all people involved in a situation. Do not talk behind each other's backs on the ministry team. Be upfront and open, maintaining healthy interpersonal relationships with the team and the congregation. And do not show partiality in relationships. And this very, very important things. And then he talks about the deacon's work. He says, their work is to support and assist the bishop in administration, be a ministerial team player, help restore and preserve peace, meet the needs of the congregation, be accountable and reliable in handling money, keep accurate records. And then in conclusion, he says, fulfilling the office of a deacon can be a joyous, fulfilling experience. I have enjoyed being a deacon mainly because I was called of God to do this work. And I believe that's where it really lies when a person uh, is called to the ministry, to any office for that matter, when we understand and realize that God has called us to the work, we find joy in it because we know that it is God who has called us to the, the responsibilities that we find ourselves uh, involved with. I invite yourself I invite you, you to turn this morning to the second book of Chronicles, and I'm going to, uh, we have all this good information for you to read. Most of the qualifications for deacon are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and you can go to Acts chapter 6, where they called the deacons there and lays out some of the method of calling deacons in Acts chapter 6. And this morning, I'm going to uh, use some other scriptures. I'm actually going to use this here, Second Chronicles chapter 1, a few verses, and then we're going to go to a book of, the book of James, which we've all been in in Sunday school for a number of weeks now, and look at a few verses in the book of James as we consider some very practical things uh, and qualifications for a deacon. We are in the Second Chronicles in chapter 1. The, the kings of Israel were anointed and they were crowned to reign and rule 
and lead their, and protect their people. We are in the New Testament, and what we're looking to call is a servant leader, a deacon, and he is not going to be anointed and crowned. He's going to be ordained, and he will make vows, a commitment to, to God and to us as a congregation, and then he will be ordained, and, and the ministry will lay hands on him and commit him and his ministry uh, to the Lord. The word ordained in the New Testament means appointed or set forth by God through the church. There is a crown involved, but it comes at the end after faithful service. Uh, God will crown his, all of his faithful children and someone who served in the ministry will receive a, a worthy reward for all of the work that, that we may have done. As Ray said, uh, the word deacon means, in Greek, an attendant to serve others as a table waiter. And Acts 6 brings that out very clearly. And I find that whole concept very intriguing because uh, all of us have had a time or, uh, or many times have eaten in a restaurant. And we know what it's like to have somebody wait on our table. Some of you have been waiters or waitresses, and so you have some experience on, on the other end of waiting on tables. If Marion and I go out to eat, why we usually are pretty good at, at critiquing the food, the atmosphere, and the waiter or waitress who waited on us. They're all very important to make our experience an enjoyable one. And it is, it's interesting, uh, waiters and waitresses, some are very good, and some are mediocre, and some are not good. And it's, it's uh, to think that a deacon is one to wait on tables or one to, to serve others as a table waiter. When, we, when you go to a restaurant, you like prompt service, uh, you like things explained. Now remember, these are all things that a deacon should be good at doing. Uh, prompt service, explaining things, and asking questions. Uh, and after the meal is served, to check back. How is it? Do you need anything? Would you like tartar sauce for your fish? Or, you know, is there anything else I can get for you? And when, when you're done with your main course, to check if you get the dirty plates out of the way. Would you like dessert? And they're there to simply wait on you and to make your dining experience a very pleasant one. And lastly, to, to bring your check and to maybe say something so kind as it's been a pleasure waiting on you, that type of thing. And so in, in the same sense, in a congregation, the deacon is that person who makes sure that things run smoothly and that everybody's at ease and everybody's needs are met, and that everybody's questions are answered, and they're just the, the person that's there to, to make everything work. And as you think about that, you think, oh, wow, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility to place on one person. And there is no perfect person, there's no perfect deacon, but it gives us an idea of the responsibilities of a deacon and how they're to fit into the ministry team 
and into the life of, of the congregation. Serving others is not a natural tendency. We know that. Uh, by, by our nature, by our old nature, we are selfish people. And so serving others is something uh, that does not come naturally. And this morning, as, as we think about uh, calling a deacon at Myerstown, and we think of, uh, there's a lot of you here this morning who are thinking, uh, it could possibly be me. Is it me that, that God is calling? I hope this morning that all of you feel, feel very unworthy and inadequate for the task. It's a big task, and I hope you feel that way. But I also hope that you believe that if God calls you, he's able to equip you for the service at hand and for what, for what you're called to do. And he can do that, and he does do that. And all of your ministry team here at Myerstown would say that, yes, God is, God is able to equip us for the task that is at hand. Here in 2 Chronicles, just want to read verses, uh, maybe verses 6 through 12. We have the account of Israel's third king, King Solomon. And 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 6. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this, thy people, that is so great? Maybe I'll stop reading there and make a few comments. And the first comment I want to make is in verse 6. It says, Solomon went into the temple and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. Hard for us to imagine. A thousand burnt offerings. And in the New Testament era in which we live, there is one offering that God wants us to offer. And it is the offering of total surrender. Surrender to God. And so, as a Christian, we're called to make that sacrifice. And as, the, as the, the new deacon that God is calling to serve at Myerstown, very important, simply sacrifice, the, the offering of total surrender, total, total giving ourselves up to God and to his plan for our life. And then... Uh, after that happens, after there's a total surrender, uh, our new deacon needs exactly what Solomon realized that he needed. And in verse 10, Solomon says, Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? Here we have Solomon acknowledging the greatness of God's people. And it gives, gives, me, gives us all an indication that Solomon loved the people. He said he thought well of them. He said, this people is so great. Probably it's so many. 
and they're so wonderful. How can I possibly serve them well? And he, he says to God, what I need, I need wisdom, and I need knowledge. And we know that, that God blessed Solomon that, in that way and gave him wisdom and knowledge so that he could, could serve uh, his people well. God uh, will always equip those that he calls and when God sees a surrendered person, like Solomon was here, asking for wisdom and knowledge so that he can serve well, God's not going to withhold it from him just to watch the poor guy squirm. No, God's good. God, uh, God loves the church, and he's going to equip the leaders that are surrendered to him so that they can faithfully serve in, in a way where, that the people are blessed and God is, operates that way. You will also, as, as David said there at the conclusion of his article, David Martin, you will also find much joy in, in serving. If you're the one that God calls, I can promise you that if you are totally surrendered, you will find joy. There is joy in serving each, each one of God's children, regardless of where he has called us to, if we're faithful in the position he has called us to, we will find joy in serving in, in that area. One of the highlights from, from this portion of scripture that I, that I want to leave as, with you as we go to James is the importance of, of loving the people caring for the congregation, understanding that Jesus gave his blood so that the church can be born and loves the church passionately. And so it's key that anybody involved in ministry really loves and cares for the people, cares for their spiritual well-being. And that makes for somebody that is a good servant and will have the drive and the passion to serve faithfully. Now let's go to James chapter 3, where we were a few weeks ago in our Sunday school lesson. And just want to use verses 13 through 18 in James chapter 3 to draw our uh, thinking to this morning and make some comments on James chapter 3. And starting at verse 13, this is a question that, that we as a congregation right here are grappling with. We have been for weeks and months. And as we think about nominations on, on Wednesday evening, the, verse, the beginning of verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endued, endued with knowledge among you? And so we're looking out, as they did in, in chapter 6 of Acts, look out among you and find people that are faithful and full of the Holy Spirit and able to serve as deacons. We are looking among ourselves and asking ourselves this very question. Where is a, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge or equipped with knowledge among us that can serve in this capacity? And then you go on reading in verse 13, and it says, Let him show out of a good conversation his works 
with meekness of wisdom. And so the verse concludes by, by telling us that a person who is wise among us, we see that through the manner of life they are living. They're in the, we see it in their character and their, and their conduct. It says in this verse, it says, let him. It does not say force him, but it says, let him. A person that, is, uh, that has voluntarily surrendered to the Lord and is serving the Lord in a very faithful way, and we see the evidence in his life. This person loves the Lord. This person loves the church. This person is faithfully serving the Lord. It is already evident in his life. So we're, we're, it's there. We're seeing it. A person that is self-motivated. There are many, uh, many wonderful deacon stories in, among Anabaptists and, and other churches as well. And there's also occasionally you'll hear a sad story about a deacon who did not serve well. But for the most part, I hear very good accounts of deacons that have served very faithfully and are serving very faithfully. And one of the things that is really key is that they apply themselves, they're self-motivated. It's a bit like being a missionary in another country. You must be self-motivated and, and see the things that need to be done. A table waiter sees what needs to be done and they're constantly there waiting on the people that, that they are serving. It's on their character and conduct is on display. In verse 14, uh, it says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. And it's talking about wisdom now. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easily to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. When uh, we think about a deacon and, and the work that he needs to do. And we've seen with Solomon, Solomon cried out for, for wisdom from God. Where does, does wisdom come from? Wisdom, I believe, comes from meekness. Where does meekness come from? Meekness comes from humility. And I'd like to suggest this morning that for a person to be meek, and to, dis to have humility and to display that humility comes from a proper view of God and ourselves and the gifts that God has given us and the talents that God has given us. To understand all of that, a person can then function in a meek and a humble way in public ministry, using our gifts, using our talents, understanding that they all come from God, and if he wants to, he can withdraw them. But he, he, he doesn't want to do that. He has blessed us. He has given them to us. And so we operate with, with gifts that God has, has given to us.
You know, in, in Solomon's legacy, one of the wisest men that ever lived, he started out so strong at 20 years old, and you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's very sad what happened to Solomon. And so as, as humans, we have to admit and realize that that can also happen to us. If we, like Solomon, get distracted and start chasing after other things, we can end up in a miserable state like Solomon seemingly uh, ended up in as a very pathetic figure in his old age. The opposite of humility is pride, and it seems like Solomon forgot where he got his wisdom and became very proud and experienced so many sad things because of it. Now, in verses 14 through 16, it talks about envy and strife and jealousy and quarreling. And it's important that the person that, uh, the, the person that we would think about as a deacon, that we would nominate as a deacon, that it's a person that guards against jealousy among brothers and sisters, guards against jealousy of another person's gifts, and is comfortable in their own uh, flesh, we say sometimes, but is just comfortable with who they are and, and using the gifts that God has given them and does not become jealous of other people and their gifts. Very important. A person that is comfortable with themselves. And it also uh, talks in 14 and 16, and think about jealousy and, and quarreling. Uh, in, in the deacon's charge, he's commanded to be a peacemaker. And so it's very important that a deacon is a person who is, their, their first response to a situation is to make peace. They want to make peace. How can we have a, a peaceful conclusion to the matter at hand? And they're just always thinking peace, want to make peace instead of stir up strife. And then in verse 17, we have uh, James uses a, a lot of words to describe wisdom. He says the wisdom that is from above, and then he describes it. And he says it is pure, it is clean, it is innocent, it is modest, or some other words we could use. This is the wisdom that is from above. And very important that the person that we would consider that he is a person that is, has this wisdom and is, is putting it to practice. It's peaceable. It's gentle. Uh, a person that, is, that has a lot of wisdom is a person that tends to be very gentle. And men, not always, but a lot of men are... are it, it certainly does not come natural for most men to be gentle. We think of gentleness, we think of the feminine, we think of our wives, and though they, they tend to be more gentle. Men tend to be more rash or to, to be quick to, to make a decision and that type of thing. But it's important that when we allow God to work in us, that, that we allow God to make us into a gentle person that we're gentle, that we're not rash, that we don't have a sharp tongue. Very important qu 
qualifications for uh, a deacon to have. And it also says in verse 17, it says, easy to be entreated. Uh, a person that has been in the, the on any in a ministry team for any length of time knows what it's like to be criticized. It comes with the territory, and uh, but when when James says pure with uh, real wisdom is when we know how to be entreated or easily entreated, and what that means is that when somebody uh, is critical of us. We can deal with it in a nice way and shrug it off, uh, not dwell on it, but uh, we're easily to be entreated. And I always say about criticism, and I don't know where I got this, but years ago I remember somebody talking about it, and they say, if somebody criticizes you, think about it very carefully. There's usually at least a little bit there that, that maybe was was good for us and we can you know and, and take that and maybe sometimes sadly maybe all of it but when we're criticized be easily entreated take it and uh, and if it's ridiculous and we didn't really deserve it know how to like a duck lets water run off of itself know how to do that it's also when we think about think about a deacon and it's, it's not necessarily mentioned in these verses, but it's very important. We think about a deacon. We think about a person that is good with finances. Uh, a deacon is most times responsible for, for the financial uh, part of the uh, church fund and various things in the church. So it's important that a deacon is a person that is financially responsible. And then some of the next words that are used in, here in verse 17 really play into this. It says... Uh, full of mercy without partiality and without hypocrisy and let's just think about mercy and, uh, and good fruits and without partiality think about some of those words as it deals with, as it deals with finances a deacon is oftentimes responsible for a church fund and, and uh, uh, if anybody has ever served in the mission field as I know some of you have, especially if you're the business administrator, as some of you have been, uh, you, are, you find yourself as the person with the checkbook, and, uh, and in the, if you're in the mission field, you have the mission board, and you're there as the administrator, you got the checkbook, and then there you have all the missionaries. And so you're, you're kind of between the board and, and the missionaries with the money. And you, you, you have the checkbook. And it puts you in kind of an awkward position. And a deacon is also in the same position in a sense. Uh, he looks at the needs of the congregation. And yet it's not his money. It's God's money. It's money that the church has laid up for, for when there are needs. And so he finds himself in this position of, uh, of discerning what is a worthy uh, need. And what is really worthy. And I'm sure this never happens at Myerstown, but there are churches, and the truth is that at some churches, or it, it happens sometimes that, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning, maybe you'll notice, well, uh, 
I guess there's no Bob or Bill here or there. You know, they have a new ve- they bought a new vehicle, and we're happy for them. We rejoice. They, bu- they bought a new vehicle. They needed one, maybe. The old one was shot, and that's one thing. But then uh, in a matter of a week or two, they come to see their deacon, and they say, well, Susie needed braces, and we just can't quite pay the bill. And then the deacon has to discern, well, do they need financial counseling, or do they need, uh, should I just give them money to pay for Susie's braces? Uh, the last Two weeks ago, they had a new car. Now they need money. And, and so it's things like that that mission directors and that deacons grapple with all the time. And they're there. They want to help, but they also they don't want to be an enabler to enable somebody that thinks the church fund is there to... To, uh, for when they messed up in their budget and what have you, and it's just the, the church fund will always be there to bail them out. So the deacon finds themselves many times in a difficult spot, and they need wisdom and discernment to work through those situations. And that's where a very wise deacon is, they're not there by themselves, they can consult with the rest of the ministry team, which good deacons do, and they work through it together. But each case needs to be looked at individually. And here in James, it talks about without partiality. And that's a really big thing to any Christian, to any parent, and especially to a deacon. Because if, if, if I help here in this situation, uh, then I need, I need to be careful that I'm fair if something similar comes up next week. And all of those things, you, you have to weigh it out uh, and, and not show any partiality. It's not good to have partiality in a family setting, and it's not good to have it in a church. And so, does a deacon need a lot of wisdom? Absolutely. To deal with all, this, all the situations that, that come his way. So, it's, it's uh, very, very important that they have wisdom. And as the verse says in verse 17, that they're full of mercy. And they, they take time to understand a person's situation, and they're not just quick to dismiss it and say, well, this doesn't, I'm not helping here, we're not going to help here. No, they need to have mercy, but they also need to have lots of wisdom and to show no partiality. Another thing that's really big, I believe, in, in a deacon's responsibilities and in church leaders' responsibilities as a whole is that when, when it, there's always things come up new things. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? And one of the things I always remind myself of and remind, like to remind our ministry team of is whenever we, a decision we make is setting a precedent. There it is. Uh, it, and if, if we've prayed about it and we thought about it and it's, it's okay of a precedent to set, go for it. That's fine. But be careful that, that you don't set a precedent and then uh, three months later uh, somebody comes and says, well, hey, you know, because right like in a family setting, you know, where our children will say, well, you did it for Bob, you should do it for me. And so the same thing holds true in church life and especially in, in finances. So we need to be careful of, of precedents that we set and make sure that they're precedents that we, that we want to set. Just a few comments yet in, in closing. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about, uh, we may call a deacon, 
that's single. Doesn't happen, never happened. Uh, that It has happened in other churches, has never happened at Myerstown. But most likely, it will be a deacon that is married. And so it is very important that they are a, a, a very stable, steady, well-balanced person in life and practice, uh, whether they're single or married. But if they're married, we have a window to look into to discern whether they are truly a wise person. And, uh, and we, we have a window to look into to see what kind of a church leader they will be. We can look at his, at his relationship with his wife. Very important, husband and wife relationship. We can look at the relationship between the husband and wife and their children. Because in most cases, that gives us a good indication of what kind of a church leader a person will be. Uh, their love for each other as a couple and the way they are raising their children, if they have children. Are their children disciplined? Are they over-disciplined, under-disciplined? Are they well cared for? Are they neat and tidy? Are they uh, just a, a, you know, you, you get it. You, could think, you can think about a lot of things. But so we have, we have a window to look into what kind of, of a church leader a person will be. It's also true that if uh, a person is married, that their wife, their wife plays a very important role in her husband's ministry if, if he is called to the ministry. It has been already very devastating to, to have somebody in the ministry who has a wife with a very, just for example, like a very sharp tongue and uh, is, has, for lack of better words, enemies in the congregation. People want to avoid her because she's just very sharp. Uh, that can just be devastating to a person's uh, ministry. And so it's important that, that if he's married that he has a wife that is kind and, and friendly and uh, shows a lot of hospitality and people enjoy being around. Just very, very important. I already mentioned uh, a, somebody that is, is stable and steady, a well-balanced person. I believe it was Leroy Yoder said many years ago, Leroy's not living anymore, but he said, and you probably heard me say it already, if there would, he said, there's 10 commandments, but if there would be an 11th, it would be thou shalt have balance. And so we want somebody that has balance. We want somebody that knows how to laugh. We want somebody that knows how to be serious. We want somebody that takes God's word seriously and somebody that is, has balance in their family and in all of life. They are a balanced, a well-balanced person. And we, uh, we want somebody that's steady. You know, one of the things that, that makes me nervous is when I, see, when I observe somebody's life and I see them changing rapidly, with just these little changes, changes, changes. I think, where is this going to end up at? I just so appreciate somebody that is steady. And I think, boy, that's who they were. And that's how they presented themselves 10 years ago and 15 years ago. And they're just a very steady person. Yeah, there's small changes maybe, but they're steady. And, and it's, uh, you, you learn to know them and trust them because they are steady and a very well-balanced person. 
That's just scratching the surface this morning of the qualifications for a deacon. Read your uh, pamphlets I gave to you. Think about it. Read the, the portions of scripture that up there in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus about the qualifications. Pray fast as you prepare to participate on Wednesday evening. And I close this morning with a word uh, to most likely the man that God is calling. Maybe the couple that God is calling is here this morning. And you think about it. And I hope that God is, I hope that you already know and have a sense that it's me. God's calling me to this. And if you do, no doubt you look at it and you say, this is overwhelming. This is just so overwhelming. How can I possibly do this? Lord, this is a lot. I close with a little story from Amy Comey Byrett, one of our newer Supreme Court justices. And she, she told the story of uh, when she was, she had apparently had her name in for to adopt some children and she says that she, she had a call about a Haiti adoption that had opened up the very same day that she found out she was pregnant. Very same day she discovered she's pregnant, she's going to have a child, and the adoption agency called and said, we have a child from Haiti for you. The very same day. And she said, it was overwhelming. So she said, I went for a walk and I walked down to the cemetery and I sat there on a bench the cemetery and said, God, how can I do this? And she said, I looked at all the, looked at all the tombstones in the cemetery and she, this is what she said. She said, you know, the, my conclusion was life may be difficult, but at least it's very short. It's very short. And whatever God asks us to do, we are certainly able to do it with his power, with his help. And life is very short. Let's make sure that we are found carrying out what God has asked us to do and that we're totally surrendered to any call that he has placed upon our lives. Let's stand for a closing prayer and then, Nate, if you could have a verse of song. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence with us this morning and thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters and I thank you that we are part of a church where when we need leadership, we look to you. And we are quite comfortable calling from within the body. And Lord, we are asking you to reveal to us in this, these coming days and weeks who it is that you are calling to serve as deacon here at Myerstown. Open our understanding and our hearts that we might see and understand who it is among us that would be able to serve well in this capacity. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would lead, guide, and direct in every aspect of it and that your perfect will would be accomplished and that a godly man would be called to serve in this capacity, some, uh, a person that could serve well and enjoy the work and be a real asset to the team here at Marystown and to the entire congregation, someone who loves you dearly and also loves your people. So we thank you, Lord, ahead of time for what you are about to do 
in the life of the Myerstown congregation. Lord, as, as thank you that we were able to be here this morning to worship you. Thank you for our Sunday school class and the worship service. Just ask that you would dismiss us with your peace and your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All the way, my Savior.